right, so good to uh, so good to be back uh, back with y'all. Uh, last weekend, I was uh, actually up in Sacramento, and I spent a couple of days with uh, Drew and Jen, and uh, with Braden and, and, and Carson and Peyton. Had a great time. But the primary reason was I went with Drew to the Golden State uh, a Warrior basketball game against, <laughs> uh, against our own uh, uh, Lakers, and uh, it was fun. I have a passion for the Lakers. I don't know how many of you know. They actually come from my homeland, the Minneapolis Lakers. That wasn't because of California. But I, I'll tell you, it was so much fun being at this ball game. I always loved being with Drew, and, and we had some great seats. But, but what struck me was just the energy. This is a regular season game. Now, the NBA, they know how to introduce the home team. They had tables with lights. I had never seen anything like this. It was crazy. The energy just at the introductions. And then the game was fabulous. It was back and forth through the whole game. Now, the Lakers ended up being ahead uh, at the end. And then Clay Thompson hit three threes in a row. Steph Curry made a great move to the, to the hoop, and, and they took the lead. And so with three seconds, Golden State is up by three. Now, I'm going to tell you, this was a regular season game, and with about four minutes left in the game, everybody stood. It's a regular season game. There are lots of other games, but the energy, the enthusiasm. LeBron James, down by three, gets fouled outside of the three-point lane, lane with three seconds left. So that means he has to make all three of his free throws to tie the game. Now, these folks, I will just tell you, you know how you always don't like the opponent? Those folks up in San Francisco, I'm just going to tell you, they have a special distaste for we Southern Californians <laughs> and for L.A. And you could feel it in the stadium, which made it all the better if the Lakers are going to win. So LeBron steps up there, takes his first free throw with three seconds left, and missed it. The place erupted. The king missed his first free throw. He makes a second free throw, so they're down by two. But he's only got one free throw left. So now, for those of you who are basketball fans, now you have to intentionally miss it, try to get the ball back, and score to try and tie the game. So here's the last three seconds of the game. Everybody's on their seats, and everybody there wants the Lakers to lose, except for me. <laughs> Here we go. Is it going? There we go. Can we have the sound way up? Way up. Rebound. Porter had it. Picked up by James. Puts it up. That's it. Golden State wins. Now, here's what struck me. You can't get it from this. The place erupted. There was so much noise. It was nuts for a regular season game. Now, no kidding. Here's what I'm thinking about is I'm in that game. This ain't nothing compared to what it's going to feel like when Jesus returns. It was a regular season game. 
Some of you maybe know there was a football game when our L.A. team won, and I wish I was in the Coliseum with all those San Francisco folks when they won. But I guarantee you, I wasn't there, but there was an elation. Now, I really believe Paul finished the heart of the book last week in chapter 15. Now, he's been moving through this book. He loves these folks in Corinth, but the culture's impacted them, and he has pulled it apart for 15 chapters. Don't miss where he ends this. He's talked about the ways where they have not been expressing the love of Christ like they should, and he gets specific for 15 chapters. Now, he's correcting their theology. They believe Jesus rose from the dead after he was crucified, but they're not so sure we get resurrected when Jesus comes back, and that's the theology he's been correcting. But what has he been saying about Jesus? He's going to come back, and every enemy will be put under his feet. Every human enemy, every human that's done bad stuff, everyone gets put under his feet. Every evil spiritual force gets put under his feet. Natural disasters, disease, guys, they will be gone. And then we looked at it last week. What's the greatest enemy? The final enemy, after he destroys and puts everything else, everyone else under his feet, what does he absolutely destroy? Death is gone. And I'm sitting there at this game. Now I'm having a great time. Wish the Lakers had won. But I'm thinking about what it's going to be like when Jesus returns. They got all these lasers and electric and band lighting it up for all these players at the intro. When we see Jesus descending from heaven, can you imagine how thrilling that's going to be? When we see him put every, every enemy, finally death under his feet. People get excited about basketball games, my fear is, because they don't necessarily have that much else. Not us. Because the reality is, in Jesus, we win. Now, you heard me say the heart of the book finishes with chapter 15. Well, heck, I can make some stuff up out of 16, even if we finish with the heart of the book. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through all of chapter 16. We're going to move through it fairly quickly. It's his postscript. There's a bunch of details. He loves these people. He has a relationship with these people. And he's, there's some practical things he's taking care of out of which we can derive some principles. Now, in the middle of this, in verses 13 and 14, he preaches just a bit. And he suggests... Five ideas, I actually think they're the big ideas of this book, uh, how we ought to live. But we're going to move through the beginning of it, then we're going to read the middle, then we're going to deal with the end, and then we're going to go back to the middle. Everybody make sense? Ready to go? So here's the first principle. God's church includes lots of people. Lots of folks love him. And we want to help others. Part of this being a community of faith is we want to help others 
who have need. Now he's writing to his church in Corinth again, his postscript. Now concerning, I think he's finished the heart of the book. Now concerning the collection for the saints, something they would already talked about, written about, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting it when I come. Just some details. Helping the people in Jerusalem who are a little short. Put this money aside. This would be a great text to pull apart and focus on forgiving, but we'll go past that. And store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. But here's just some pl plans, and here's who we are as a church. We want to help others. Part of what we do around here, and we want to hopefully, I know we're doing more now, but we have a benevolence fund that helps folks when they're hurting. That's part of who we are. We're invested in churches around the world, helping the gospel go forward. Even though we maybe haven't maybe personally interacted with those folks, that's what we do. We want to help those who treasure Christ. And God uses lots of people to help us grow. As I read this, while I'm reading it, you can think about some of the people that God's put in your life that have helped you grow. I'm old. I got so many people that have helped me grow. I got so many people helping me grow now. Oh, to be grateful. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey. Paul's helping them. The Corinthians are helping him wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you. I love y'all, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door of effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, I'd love to pull that apart and make that a sermon right there. Did you see what he just said? Great opportunities, great challenges. Welcome to life. This is the way it works. And when Timothy, somebody else comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Paul, Timothy. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers. <laughs> I love the candor here. It was not at all his will to come now. He loves you, but he didn't really want to see you right now. <laughs> Again. <laughs> come on. I don't care who you are. That is funny. But it was not at all his will to come, to, to, to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. But here's the reality again. Paul just listing three of the folks. Paul himself. Who you had in your life that's really helped you grow in Jesus. The reality is most of us have had a bunch of people that have influenced and, 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 and been representatives and illustrations of Christ's love that have helped us grow. This is the way God's designed the church to work. Now the big idea is we're going to come back to this. I'm just going to read it. And then we're going to come back into it, back to it. Does that make sense? You ready? Be watchful, number one. Stand firm, number two. Act like men. <laughs> we'll pull that one apart. Be strong and let all that uh, uh, you do be done in love. Now back to these principles that he's been filling us up with. God uses lots of people to help us grow the third one here. We all want to encourage others. I love this text here. Notice the people that Paul lifts up. Let's not forget, 
part of the way the culture is impacting the churches, we are uh, folks that are fascinated with celebrity. How many of you know the name Clay Thompson? Some of you? Oh, man, we got to get more sports fans. That should be a name. There we go. LeBron James. All right, there we go, there we go, there we go. And that's what's happening in that church. That was a big issue. You remember all the way back to the first chapter and it kept coming up. They're raising up the famous people. Notice how Paul finishes this letter. Very practical advice, but there's a principle in here. We all want to encourage others. Now, I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in, in Achaia and that they were devoted themselves to the service of the saints. They weren't the preachers. They weren't the elders. Because this, again, it probably happened in Corinthians' day, but we don't create celebrities and people that have more prestige in churches today, do we? I mean, that is something from ages past. But we would never lift up some people because they're more well-known than others. Come on, we've read Corinthians. We know better than that. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Now notice what he says here. Be subject to such as these. Now I don't think he means make them the leaders of your church. What I think he's saying is live like these people. Those people who promoted Jesus and they weren't doing it for the esteem, they weren't doing it for the credit. They were the people behind the scenes. Be subject to such as these. To every fellow worker and laborer. I didn't look it up. But if I gave you the name of the guys that wash the jerseys for the Lakers, do you think we'd recognize it? Don't miss us. Paul's saying, you want to lift people up? These are the people to lift up. We got a group of folks that set up the chairs and the easy ups that you are enjoying today. <laughs> we got some folks, they can see me right now. We got about five folks sitting in a room in that building making sure all the technology works. We're going to finish the service here. Their people are going to take this down and those guys are all going to run over there for another service. Paul says, in the church, those are the folks we lift up, not the preaching guy. Makes us different from every other organization in the world. That's who the church is because everybody, he's already pulled that apart, has a vital role. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker in labor. I rejoice at the coming of, of Stephanus Fortunatus and uh, Achaicus because they have made up for my absence. For these folks, they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. These guys that set up the chairs, these folks out here taking care of the tech, we're getting refreshed at all. Who do we recognize? It's not really Sharia. I don't think it's the band, and I don't think it's me. Paul says, don't overlook those folks that are the life of the church. Oh, those are the folks. Those are the folks that you recognize.
Then the last one, and we're going to finish the chapter with this, except for going back. We're grateful for all who fellowship with Jesus. Just a lot of folks, a lot of connection. As being part of this church, those who treasure Christ, there are a lot of people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prissa, which is Priscilla in the other New Testament texts, uh, uh, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Some sort of greeting that was unique to them. We are not going to initiate that one around here. Not exactly sure that was. But some sort of greeting that likely, uh, we're going to go maybe with a special handshake. We'll go a different route. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. In the middle of all this, he adds that one sentence. Again, as we've gone through the book, Paul loves these folks, but he's concerned that some of them may not have genuine faith. At the end of this thing, he throws in one sentence there again. Loving Jesus is the most important thing in life. And those people who don't love Christ, and I think in the middle of this, there's this at the end of this, there's just this one last warning to these folks. Make sure you love Jesus more than any other thing. Our Lord come. He's just finished 15 in the second coming, what that's going to mean. The Lord, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And then he ends it because he loves these folks. He's talked more directly to these folks about negative things in their lives individually and collectively than in any New Testament book. Nothing else is close. His motive is love. He's trying to help them. Get more focused on Jesus, have the culture impact them less, get focused on Jesus. And how does he finish this? My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. I love you, Paul says. The end of the day, that's what we as the church are. A group of imperfect people who will not be glorified until Jesus comes back. Until then, we're all bringing faults, weaknesses, Areas of growth that need to be stretched. But God put us here to love one another, to encourage one another in the love of Jesus. It's why we exist as a community of faith. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. This is the foundation this is what motivates Paul to write to this church at Corinth. The love of God, the grace of God. Now, in the middle of this, we read it quickly, but it's in, for those of you who are English folks, these are imperatives. He's saying, so this is how I want you to live. In the middle of wrapping up with all these details, he's got these two verses that form the conclusion of the conclusion. You know, we ended with Christ is coming back and there is a great victory. As he summarizes this book, so all kinds of ideas through these 16 chapters, but he ends with these five big ideas. Be watchful. Stand firm. Be mature. Act like men. Now, here's my informal theory testosterone kills brain cells. Now, my wife has not debated that in the least. 
And so there's lots of ways you don't want to act like men. I think what he's saying here is don't be childish. That's his point. Be strong. And if we could get this last one, which I think summarizes the prior four in the whole book, there would be more people who would love Jesus. There would be more people who love him who would love him more. If we could get this last one, I think the church, just going to speak of America, would have a very different image than I think we have with most of the folks out there that don't love Christ. Do everything. And I think he means everything in love. Be watchful. I think what he's talking about here is he's talking of his church that's being impacted by the culture. There's things going on in the culture that entertain them, that fascinate them. This is a church plant. Of course they're impacted by the culture. They were living in the culture. They were swimming in the culture until Jesus came into their life. Paul's point is, when Jesus comes into your life, the culture and its values and its perspective, they don't mean as much. Now, I've known some evangelicals, you've probably heard the phrase, so heavenly-minded, they're of no earthly good. That's not going to be us. We want to know what's going on in the world. We want to know what's going on in the culture. Because we want to know how best to bring Jesus to the people. We want to know what they're thinking. We want to know what they're valuing. We want to know what they're interested in. We're going to be keenly aware of what's going on in our culture. There are trends that are not positive. It's pretty much been that way since Adam and Eve sinned. I hear every once in a while, I wish we could go back to the good old days. If you go back to the good old days and you're not naive, they weren't that as good as people thought they were. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Pretty much the world has been broken since then. We may have certain waves that get our attention more than others. This is pretty much how the world has been. And it's going to be until Jesus returns. But we're here to be salt and light in this broken world. So we need to know what's going on. We need to know what the issues are that people are wrestling with. But we are going to stand firm in Jesus. The culture's trying to throw their stuff at us. The culture's trying to influence us. We're going to stand firm in Jesus. Now, in the last two years, it just appears to me, all anecdotal, all personal. Everybody gets that, right? The church has given evidence that the culture's having a bigger impact on us than I would like. 
Now, I don't believe it's any greater in the last two years. It's just the challenges we faced made it more obvious. Been doing a lot of reading out there, and for me, the merging of politics, COVID response with faith in many cases has been greater than I would like it to be. But we are standing firmly on Jesus, knowing what's going on out there in the world, but we are not afraid of it. We are not intimidated by it. We expect it. Our strength is in Christ, who died and rose from the dead. That's our foundation for us, that we might have new life and that he would go with us through anything in this world. Act like men. I think his emphasis here is be mature. My wife helped me understand. Many of you know she's a school teacher. The process, the beginning of cognitive development, it's a passion for me. But I remember when our oldest daughter was about two and she took a toy from some other kid and I thought she was being selfish. My wife helped me understand she's not being selfish. That's just how kids are. There's an, eve, an inevitable egocentricity. They simply can't see beyond themselves. When we get older and we can see beyond ourselves, we call it selfishness. How many of you are fuzzy on what you prefer and what you like? May I see your hands? You just go, I really don't know what I like. I've heard more people in the last two years give me stronger opinions on what they prefer about everything there is in life than I've heard in the prior 61 years. For most folks, I don't wonder what they think. Here's what Paul's saying. Don't be selfish. Don't be self-focused. He spent a lot of time talking about this. Our greatest joy after we've met Christ is to reveal Christ to others. So we're thinking about how people are seeing Jesus from the way we live. Never pretending, not being somebody we're not, but we're going to be mature about this. Be strong. Guys, life is hard. Life was hard before COVID. COVID hit, and then we got some extra stuff, but the stuff that was there before COVID, none of it went away. We live in a broken world. This is hard. Relationships are hard. Sometimes making a living is hard. A culture that is, seems to be increasingly promoting values that are alternative to our values in Christ. This ain't easy. But we're going to be strong in Jesus. 
we're standing in Jesus. Part of what I loved about that game a week ago Saturday night is you didn't know how it was going to end. You know what I love about this life? We actually know how it ends. And that's why Paul spent a whole chapter talking about this. His presumption and anticipation is our knowing how it ends impacts how we play the game today. We might be in circumstances, in a relationship, an issue at work, in the neighborhood, maybe even a church, and it feels like we're not winning. Every one of us who loves Christ, we win. That encourages us to be strong right now in the difficulties of life. <sighs> Maybe I should sit down and we should have just two minutes of silence for everybody to think about this one. I love what Paul writes in Ephesians, speaking the truth in love. He has spent 15 chapters speaking the truth much of it was not easy for the Corinthians to hear, to read. But what I'm talking about is the tone. We're going to be people with our unbelieving friends, those who have yet to choose believe, and those here, we're going to focus on Jesus. We're going to talk about the issues in life. That there's going to be an underlying tone of love in all of it who we are because God loves us are we going to disagree from time to time and this is part of what's broken my heart as I've been looking out there the last two years just feels like to me for a lot of churchgoers out there hasn't felt like always that much love was I wondering what their view was on a particular issue it was usually not fuzzy it was not filled with amb ambiguity they usually made it clear But in all things, in all things, can you imagine the impact churches in America could have for Christ? You know, what I love about this is Paul is not making this stuff up. If you've not memorized this verse, I encourage you to memorize these two verses. It was Jesus who said, a new command I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this will all people know that you are my disciples, if you make your political views clear. <laughs> now don't misunderstand me. Do I think we should be involved in politics? What do you think? It's the world. Will it be salt and light? I think many of you would be surprised, here's my hope, that you would be surprised on the strength of my political convictions. I think many of you would be surprised, maybe not. It's just not the most important thing. <laughs> I don't have time to talk about that stuff on Sundays, because <laughs> I got someone way more important to talk about. <laughs> but we're involved, but even in these, Wherever we go, it's love. So here's my encouragement. 
as we finish this up. We're going to live knowing what is going on in the world. No burying our head in the sand. It's not who we are. We were put here to make a difference. We got to know what's going on if we're going to make a difference. But we're going to live focused on Jesus. That's why we exist here. To keep pointing to Jesus. We're going to live constantly conscious of how we are authentically displaying Jesus' love. Is there going to be any pretending? I should see more negative turns of the head or somebody yelling out no. I remember years ago, two churches ago, I was talking with a brother. He happened to be one of our elders, and I was sharing where I was struggling with my faith. And he said, you know, it would really help my faith if you had stronger faith on this issue. And I went, help your faith, it would help mine. We're making assessments, but no pretending. My conviction is if we're just genuine with where we're at in God's sovereign plan, that's what other people will get from us. No pretending. But we are asking with the best of intent, what image of Jesus are people getting from the way I interact with him? May I make a suggestion? Husbands and wives, it ought to start there. You know, the closer we are to people, the more comfort we have and the little more relaxed we can be, that's a good thing. But sometimes we take liberties in terms of interacting in those most intimate of relationships in ways that might be less loving. Now, I don't know this from my life. You understand, I know this from yours. <laughs> All I do is talk about where I need to grow. You guys have figured that out, right? I go, what is Jesus saying to me? Where do I need to grow? And I hope somebody else is near me. We're going to apologize and ask forgiveness when we don't love. There's going to be a day after Jesus returns. No more guilt, no more shame, no more confession, no more apologies. It's a great day day. And we're going to spend eternity like that. Until then, when we're not so loving, at work, in the neighborhood, maybe even in something at church, will you forgive me? You can guess what the next one is. When somebody asks for forgiveness, what do people who have been forgiven of God, our mountain load of sin, our eternal debt, what do we do? How could we not forgive? How could we not? Not the big idea of this text, but it's talked about by Jesus and all the biblical authors. Not forgiving others is a really, really bad sign. One of those cultural principles is we deserve to get even. Not forgiving other people is a really, really bad sign. So we're going to do that. Now we're going to read 1 Corinthians 13 regularly. This wasn't primarily written by Paul. Here's he's going. He's writing through 1 Corinthians. He's going, these pastors, they're going to need something to read at a wedding. 
I'm going to write 1 Corinthians 13. This is going to be a great wedding text. We got this beautiful love chapter because that's the biggest problem this church is having. Not loving each other like they should. So he puts this out. It applies to our families. It provides, it provides to our home, our life group, Sunday mornings, wherever we go. Love, 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 love. Are we going to speak the truth? Are we going to share our preferences? Yes. Are we going to insist on our preferences? No. But we're going to share them. We're going to start by asking other people, though. Here's what I think the loving thing would do. What's your preference? How would you like this? Love. Father, you are good. Thank you for inspiring Paul to write this letter. We want to be instruments of your grace in this world. We want to know what's going on. We got so many friends and family members, work associates that don't love you. We pray that you would use us as instruments of grace wherever we are. Here come in our community here, Father, we want to challenge one another. We want to encourage one another. And we want to speak the truth if it needs to be spoken. And we need to want to do that in love. But our prayer is that you will lead us forward, that you will help us all to trust you more, that you would help our church family to trust you more. I pray, Father, that you would fill us with so much of this grace and love that the people that we're connected with out there in the world, they'd be caused by your spirit to ask this question. What is it about RCC folks that make them so loving? Oh, it's just different than I experience in the world. But use us, Father, to reveal your grace, your love, and your forgiveness. And while you're doing that, make us a whole lot happier in the process.